Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Tryon. I'm Jeff Harris. I'm the pastor here at First Baptist, and I'm grateful for you joining us today. I must say, podcast might be a bit of a stretch because really this is our weekly sermon, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen to this week's sermon. I will give one word of warning, though, especially to those of you who are driving. Sermons um, from time to time tend to put people to sleep, so if you're driving, be real careful. We don't want you to fall asleep, because we'd love to have you tune in next week. (laughs) I hope you enjoy this week's sermon, although enjoy is really not the intended outcome of a sermon, but I am grateful that you took the time to listen, and I hope you have a great week. I'll catch you next week. Worship service this morning, we uh, welcome those who are with us on Zoom. Are we ready to see them and to give them a... A wave? No problem. We're here. We'll do our best. Uh, the peace of Christ be with you. We have a very special privilege this morning to welcome Dr. Doug Murray. Doug is a retired minister. He was at the First Baptist Church of Wilson, North Carolina for 22 years. And now he and his wife have retired to... Uh, Weaverville and attend First Baptist Church in Asheville and I understand that Jeff and Doug have served on committees together and know each other real well and Doug came about three or four years ago I remember and we're happy to have you back. Now John Spinks will ring the Trinity chime for us. Sing praises to God, all you faithful ones. God hears us in our fear and our sorrow. Where there was no way. Where there was no mercy. Where there was weeping.
Let us pray. Father, as we gather to worship, we acknowledge your goodness to us through your grace you have shown us. May we come into your presence with grateful and gracious hearts, witnesses to your faithfulness and loving and caring for us in our every joy, our every sorrow. In our suffering and pain, you are there. In our daily walk, your presence is with us, if only we seek you. There is joy, grief, sadness, suffering in the lives of your people. Guide us, Father, to be the people you have called us to be, people of generosity and love toward all. For it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. some youngsters here come on down it's gonna be fun we'll have a nice time right here in front right here down sit down here in front I know some of you haven't been here before it's okay and this is how we start my name is mr. skip I go hi girls and boys and you say hi mr. skip ready hi girls and boys hi, mr. Skip. 
and welcome to the children's time. It's so good to be with you. It really is. Man, do you know how long it's been since we were really together? I'll show you. It's been that long. <laughs> yeah, that's my COVID hair. It hasn't been cut since March two years ago, a year and a half ago. My goodness. Yeah. So this weekend, uh, this coming 4th of July, my family's going to make a decision. Does granddaddy keep it or cut it? <laughs> we'll see. Well, when I was a little kid, and even today during COVID we've had, we had coloring books. We have adult coloring books these days, and I brought along a coloring book that's one of my favorites. It's my Bible coloring book. May I share it with you? Okay, great. Let's see here. You know what? Oh my gosh, look at that. All the pages are blank. I don't believe it. You know, that kind of reminds me, when we were born, and we're just little kids, we were kind of blank too, right? We didn't know anything, and we're learning. And we come to church and Sunday school, and we learn. We learn from our parents, our grandparents, our brothers and sisters. And here in church, we learn about Jesus. And one of the magic words that we have about that is, I love Jesus. So say with me, I love Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. I love Jesus. You see, Jesus gives us form and shape to shape our lives a little bit. So let's do it one more time on one, two, three. Ready? One, two, three. I love Jesus. And I felt that. Let's see what we got here. Oh, there are the lines. They've all come onto our pages now. There's baby Jesus. There's John the Baptist. There's Jesus walking on the water, and Peter was sinking in the water, and Jesus saved him. And look, there's a, a feeding the people and the woman at the well. Because you love Jesus, he gives you the outlines to our life, you see. But, and oh look, there's the empty tomb right there on that page, and there's Jesus with the three, uh, with the two thieves on the cross. Jesus died for our sins, and the tomb is empty because he rose from the dead. Amen. Now then, the real magic of knowing Jesus is when you say, I believe. So take your pointy finger, hold it like this, and say, I believe. One, two, three. I believe. That's right. Because when you believe, Jesus brings color into your life. He fills you out, just like a coloring book. So ready? One, two, three. I believe, and lo and behold, you see, all the colors come into your life. And there's baby Jesus, and there he is, John the Baptist. And it gets so colorful and bright. And when you believe and you love Jesus, your whole life changes. And why did he die for us? And why is the tomb empty? To forgive us for our sins. The magic gospel coloring book. It is so much fun. So put your hands together, bow your heads and say this. Dear God, I know Jesus loves me because I believe. Amen. Okay, we go back now.
responsive reading this morning is Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, warn those who watch for the morning, warn those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem.
The reading today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained for two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Jasher. He said, your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, the daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul returned empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. The word of the Lord. Spirit, come our hearts. 
from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, we learn of a girl restored to life and a woman healed. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhages stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, while he was speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the preacher, teacher anymore? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house, of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When it entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakumi, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this point, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Oh, he's that one, him. Somebody from, uh, 
It is really good to be here with you again. I've had a couple of other opportunities to be with you. And now I get to see how things are with the renovation. I have tried out various parts of it already. I have not yet ridden the elevator, but I look forward to that. <laughs> and I'm so happy for you that uh, all these things have come together for you in this congregation. Uh, frankly, I'm happy for you that Jeff Harris is your pastor. I've come to know him through the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Uh, we've served on councils together, and from time to time you may wonder, why is he doing this and doing that? He's a moderator of the North Carolina CBF right now. I preceded him two moderators ago, and so I know that although it's a volunteer position, it is some work. It's some important work as you're continuing to encourage and shepherd and elicit the gifts of some 300 Baptist congregations across the state. So you ought to be proud of him and, and proud of yourselves for uh, giving him that time and space to do, to extend the ministry of this church in many ways uh, across the state. I like how in your worship service you have a lot of scripture. It happens to be scriptures, the same scriptures today that are being read in many churches all across the world. Uh, the story of the woman with the hemorrhage and the girl who, uh, who died. You can imagine that story being read in cathedrals in Europe and under shade trees in Africa and all around the world. The scripture I'm going to focus on is the one uh, that Laura read from, from 2 Samuel today, and you'll see why I'm focusing on that. How are the mighty fallen, said David, after the battle in which Saul and Jonathan were, were killed, his king and his best friend, gone forever. It was not only a loss for him, it was, it was disaster for the whole nation. The whole nation was grieving this, this terrible thing. But to the whole nation, David gave words of a beautiful elegy that have been preserved for the ages. These words speak to me now because for us, for now more than a year, our nation has been facing a, a national disaster. Not as a disaster on the fields of battle, but a disaster that has visited hospitals and homes all across the country. And so, upwards of 600,000 people in our country have died. And across the world, uh, the death toll is coming up to nearly four million people. This uh, scourge, this microscopic scourge that has reached from halfway around the world all the way into our neighborhoods, into our communities. In my county, there are more than 300 fresh graves. In my family, several cousins became infected. And among my friends, two friends have died. And so we don't say like David, how are the mighty fallen? What we say is more like how 
So many have fallen. Some were mighty and in the prime of life. Some were weak and on the edges of life. So it's a time now of really deeply mixed feelings. For one thing, there is relief. I mean, I got jabbed and so did you, and what a relief it is to be vaccinated. And now to be able to go into a, a restaurant or into a store without fear. I mean, what a re relief and what a joy it is to be able to hug your grandchild and to be with friends. It's just so liberating and it is a blessing to be together in a sanctuary with fellow believers and worshiping God. It is for me still a new thing. It may be for you too and it's it's just a wonderful thing. And sure, we still have to be careful. Well, you know, maybe, maybe we'll always need to be careful from now on. But now is so much easier and so much freer than what it was a year ago. So what a relief. But our relief is haunted by grief. Some among us remember Dropping, dropping off a loved one at the emergency room and not knowing it would be the last time that you would see them. And then there was the memory of maybe a FaceTime call that some merciful nurse had arranged. And then later on, there was the call from the hospital that it was over. And then a graveside service, which was strange also because not many people could come to the graveside service. And then when you were there, you couldn't hug each other either. Imagine the families and friends of 600,000 people going through that. And I've been wondering, how many people is that? You know, If you assume that maybe each person had maybe a dozen close family members that they loved and that loved them. And if you assume that maybe each COVID victim had also maybe a dozen close friends who deeply missed them, then if you do the math and add 12 and 12 and multiply by 600,000, that makes about 14 million people across our country who are grieving for and missing a loved one who is, who's gone. And that does not count all those who are grieving for the jobs that they lost or the dreams that they lost, and that doesn't count all those who missed out on graduation ceremonies and didn't go to the prom, and on and on and on. And as the reality of our losses sinks in, counselors and ministers across the nation are stealing themselves for a tidal wave of grief that is surely coming, that is going to wash over the land. It was a tidal wave of grief that washed over the kingdom of Judah and Israel when they heard that the only king they'd ever known, Saul, and his heir to the throne, Jonathan, were gone. They grieved not only for them, but also for the many who had fallen in battle beside them too. And for David, 
it was a strange mix of emotions because if you remember how he and Saul didn't get along, he was relieved that Saul wouldn't be chasing after him anymore, trying to kill him. But still, Saul was his king, the only king he'd ever known. And Jonathan, his best friend. But David gathered himself, and out of his grief, he voiced this most wondrous elegy. And he gave this to the whole nation as a way through their grief and disaster. Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. For the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled. There the shield of Saul, anointed with oil no more. So David gave his people words to grieve with. And words are important. Words have power. You notice, if, as you read through, and as Laura read through the whole thing, that he says the names again and again, Saul and Jonathan, Saul and Jonathan. There is power, there is healing power in being able to say the names again. And so his elegy endures as a model for how to give people words to be able to begin a journey through grief. To go through grief is indeed a spiritual journey. It's a dark journey, yes, but a spiritual one nonetheless. And on that journey, there's no guarantee where you're going to end up. Some people end up farther and farther away from others and even farther away from God. Their grief has become like a jagged wall that shuts them off from everyone. But that doesn't happen to everyone. For others, they go through this journey of grief and they end up closer to others and, and closer to God. And for them, their grief was more like a bridge instead of a wall. Why, do, why is that? Why does, for, for some, grief become like a wall, and for others, grief becomes like a bridge? It depends on whether you hold your grief to yourself alone or whether you're able to share it with others. It depends on whether you're able to bring your grief and your loss to God. In one family, there was the husband, the father of the family, who was terminally ill, and he knew it, and he was rather at peace with it. He was ready to die. His family, however, was not ready at all. They couldn't think of it. They couldn't even speak of it, especially not with him. So when the man's wife would come into the hospital room and visit with him, she would talk about their plans for retirement, and she would talk about their plans to have a garden, and she would talk about anything except what really 
was in her mind and her heart. And the same thing for the children. When his adult children would come into the room, they would just talk happy talk. We're going to talk pleasant things. We're not going to get dad upset. They were doing it out of love. They didn't want to get dad upset. They wanted to protect him, if they could, from the, the turmoil of emotions within them. But here's the thing. When you know you're going to die, but nobody around you is going to talk about it, that does not comfort you at all. It just makes you feel more alone in, in your dying. Now, there was another couple that had an, another journey through grief, eventually, husband and wife. Uh, the husband knew he was going to die, and he, the chaplain came in, and he looked at the chaplain. He says, Chaplain, I need you to help me. I, I know I'm going to die, but please uh, don't tell my wife. She, she just couldn't handle it. Chaplain goes, oh. Chaplain has a chance to meet with the wife, and the wife says, Chaplain, I know that my husband doesn't have very long to live, but please don't tell him. Because he just couldn't take it. Well, what's a chaplain to do? Well, this wise chaplain, and you have some among you too, this wise chaplain found a gracious way to encourage each of them to share their secret with the other. And when they did, their relief was great. And when they did, they were even able to begin to make some plans, different plans from what the other couple was trying to do, make some plans about what needed to be done right then. And they even were able to laugh at the, the game that they had played. But when they were able to bring their grief together to each other, they were able to grieve together. And their grief then didn't wall them off from each other, but it brought them even closer together in a way. A long time ago, a long time ago, I was a youth minister. And I used to take youth groups to a camp at the beach. Wonderful place. My wife and I would take our daughter Whitney who was a preschooler, but we could take her because they had a preschool program. They had a great preschool program that was led by Mr. and Mrs. Hobbs. Well, it turned out that Mr. Hobbs was uh, Dr. Dewey Hobbs, who was the retired director of the School of Pastoral Care at Baptist Hospital. And his wife, Mrs. Hobbs, was also an accomplished lady too, so you really had a five-star preschool program there, and we felt wonderful about leaving our daughter Whitney with them. Dewey also had another assignment in the camp in the evenings. In the evenings, he was deputy dog, which meant that he cruised, he took his old big sedan and he cruised the camp in the evenings after curfew. And if he found any teenager who was out where they shouldn't have been, he picked them up. But he didn't scold the youth. They just rode around in the car and talked for a while. What did they talk about? I don't know. 
But don't you know if that teenager had some secret grief or struggle they were dealing with? I bet you Dewey had a way of drawing that out and helping them to talk together. Well, I'm getting kind of off the subject, but let me get back to it, which is really what I, the reason I brought him up is to tell you what happened when, when he found out that he was dying. He had cancer, and he was in the hospital room, and what he did was he called together all his family, his, Ms., Ms. Hobbs and their adult children, and uh, they talked about it, and he made a point of blessing them, and he also told them that after he was gone, what he wanted them to do was to take his ashes back to that camp, back to that beach, back to where the Atlantic Ocean meets the Cape Fear River, and to spread them there. That's what he did with his family. The only thing was that the rumors of his death were greatly exaggerated, as Mark Twain would say. Um, he, he got up and he was able to go out of the hospital. He, he, he lived for a while. But eventually his time did come. And when he did, then his wishes were fulfilled. But that family, for them, their grief was not a wall dividing them off from each other in their secret griefs. But because he shared his grief with them and they shared their grief with him, their grief became a bridge that brought them closer together. This is true on a human level, but this is also true on a divine level, too. When we hold our grief in, it becomes a wall between us and God. But when we bring our grief to God and lay it out there, it becomes a bridge between us and God. When Saul and Jonathan died, David did that for his people. He didn't retreat into his own grief and wall himself off from everybody else, but he shared his grief with the whole nation. He didn't either retreat into happy talk and talk about pleasant things like how he now would be their king and aren't they happy about that? No, he had the sense to know that they needed to grieve for the first king. And so did he. And so they did. Saul and Jonathan beloved and lovely. In life and death, they were not divided. They were strong. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson and luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? A thousand years after David, his descendant, Jesus, had this to say about grief. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He didn't say, blessed are those who hold it together. He didn't say, blessed are they who keep their composure. But blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. After this pandemic, whenever it ends, in this season of grief for our nation and for our world, may this be our prayer. And as we grieve, let's give our grief words. Let's share it out in the open and thus encourage other people who are in grief to do the same. 
And then together as a nation, we may walk through this valley of the shadow and not wall ourselves off from each other, but rather come closer together as a people under God. The Apostle Paul understood the way of grief like David had understood it, like Jesus had understood grief. So one time he wrote this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, the all-comforting God, who comforts us, who comforts me in every sorrow I have, so that I can comfort people who are in sorrow and comfort them with the comfort with which I am comforted by God. For just as my sufferings in Christ are running over the cup, so also my comfort in Christ is running over as well. For anyone who's going through your own season of grief, May your journey through grief bring you not to a wall, but to a bridge. A bridge that will bring you closer to others and closer to God. Amen.
Will you join me in prayer? God, we come to you today with burdened hearts and confused minds, not knowing where to start our prayers. Not because we are lacking serious concerns, nor because we don't need comfort and wisdom. Our needs are great and our hearts are burdened. Years ago, your followers asked you to teach them to pray, and you did. You told them to recognize you as the Almighty, whose name is to be revered and whose home is in heaven. You told them to, des to desire that your holy purposes come to fruit on earth, just as they are already in heaven, and that you alone are in charge of the earthly affairs. You told them, your followers to ask for basic needs of physical sustenance, and you did not mention asking for fancy cars or palatial homes. You even asked them to be kind and merciful to those who owe them something, just as you are kind and merciful to them, you gave a gentle reminder. You told them to follow, to, you told your followers not to get off the path you have set for them, but to follow you through the dark mazes which, hap, which happiness happens in life. Then you reminded your followers that you are in charge of heaven and earth, and you will be forever. God, you laid out a simple plan for your children to follow in our relationship with you and our fellow human beings. Please forgive us for stirring up the water and making it almost impossible to follow you. Help us learn to worship you, to seek your will, to focus more on our needs and less on our desires, to forgive others the way you have forgiven us, to stay focused on what is good, and to trust you for the outcome. Amen. Would you please mention some prayer concerns that you have now, and I will repeat them so that those at home can also join in prayer. Edna Potts. Edna Potts. Okay. Okay. Tim Dempsey. Ellis, I didn't understand that. Okay. Others? Ray Joy. Ray Joy. I'd like for those at home to make their requests known at this time. Let's stand as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. It's been a wonderful service, a good message that was very timely, and it meant a lot to me personally. And I enjoyed seeing your beautiful faces, and I'm looking forward to a regular, this being a regular occurrence here.
I'll leave you with these words. May the peace of God enfold us, the love of God uphold us, the wisdom of God control us. Amen. Thank you.